0: I'm Jeff Cohen. Alyssa Nicole Trust is an actor, writer, podcaster, and voiceover artist based in New York City. Of particular interest to our audience, Alyssa wrote a play called Observance that explores how a hard partying college student who initially clashes with her Orthodox roommate ultimately transitions full throttle into an observant Jew. Alyssa is here today to talk about her life, her career, and the ways in which Judaism has found its way into her work. Alyssa, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Let's dive into your story. There's a lot to get to know about your career, but we like to get to know the person behind the career first. So just give our listeners a sense of where you were born and raised.
1: Sure. So I am a true New Yorker. I am from Long Island, and I have been living in New York City for nine years now.
0: And how would you describe your family from a Jewish perspective growing up?
1: We were reformed. Judaism was something that was very important in my family and in our identity. I grew up in an area where everyone was Jewish, but nobody was religious. So everyone was Reform. A couple kids were conservative. And so I grew up going to temple on holidays. I went to Hebrew school. I had a bat mitzvah. I was very into Hebrew school and very into Judaism. So my parents would take me for Shabbat services, but we didn't necessarily observe Shabbat as a family. We celebrated all the holidays with my family. But as I got older, I learned about all these different Jewish holidays that I'd never heard of before. Um, so just very ingrained in our identity, but not religious or observant in any real regard.
0: And so you said that, you know, you grew up reform, but Judaism was... Like, important within your family. What were your parents doing that were giving you that sense that this is something that's gonna matter in your life?
1: You know, I think that for my parents, who are now divorced, they both gave us a sense of Judaism means that you behave in a certain way and that these are values that we uphold. And I've heard that that's pretty common in Reform Judaism versus observant Judaism, that this focus on the Jewish values. So my mom would always talk about education as a Jewish value. My mom would always talk about not speaking ill of others as a Jewish value of, you know, doing community service, tikkun olam. Both of my parents used being Jewish as a way to encourage my brother and I to be good people treat people well, (laughs) and do well in school, and all the things that they wanted us to do, they would tell us it's because we're Jewish that you need to to do these things. And I think that's actually really beautiful.
0: Yeah, my mother and your mother would have been good friends because my mom was not religious at all. But somehow the values that she was instilling in us as I became Orthodox and started to learn what was behind the things I was learning, it was very much what my mom was trying to tell me all the years when I was growing up about how to be a good person, care for others, etc. And so she, she somehow knew it intuitively, I guess, even without the Jewish education.
1: Yeah. And the other big thing was this very huge focus on family and on holidays and on being together and on enjoying each other's company. So for us, really, I would say that Judaism was about food and family. It Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily about going to shul or actual religious observance. But I think that there's a focus on food and family, no matter what type of Jew you are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Uh, And for myself, I grew up in New City, which was minutes away from Muncie. So I had this Orthodox world that was like a mile away from me, but... I wasn't exposed to it at all and really didn't have an opinion about what orthodox judaism was did you know anything growing up like did you have any interaction with orthodox jews or have any opinion of what that lifestyle was like
1: not at all and i was first exposed to observant judaism when i went to binghamton university i had been accepted and i was visiting a friend and she had me meet her at the chabad when i got there I called my mom on my flip phone
0: (laughs) to (laughs) tell
1: her that I arrived. And a little boy, probably about three years old, he was the son of somebody who worked at Chabad, he started screaming at me that I wasn't allowed to use my phone because it was Shabbat. And I had never heard of that before and that people didn't use their phones on Shabbat. That is how unexposed to observant Judaism, I was.
0: <laughs> but did it give you like a negative first impression, like one of the things that my rabbi told us when we had kids is don't start your kids religious journey with all the things they can't do. Don't make them think Shabbos is a day of restrictions. And here you're having your first exposure to Chabad and you're being told you're doing something wrong. So you're feeling like you're kind of being scolded almost. Is that giving you a negative impression of Judaism, or are you just kind of took it in stride and like, oh, I'm learning something I never knew before?
1: You know what? I didn't never thought of it, but it did give me a negative view of Judaism and not necessarily that specific interaction. In that case, I was more embarrassed <laughs> that I was mm-hmm. doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. But that same day, the friend who I was visiting, her roommate was observant, and her roommate had me... <laughs> I later learned this is not how it's supposed to be, said that I needed to, wanted me to hold her shoes because she's not allowed to carry anything on Shabbat. And now I know that that is so wrong in so many different ways. Right. But I thought, first of all, that's rude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Second of all, what are all these rules and restrictions? It's not really in the spirit of it all. Isn't Shabbat about the spirituality and the connection to something greater than yourself and all of these other things that I had grown up thinking and knowing. And so I think that in a vacuum without understanding the greater reason why these restrictions, for lack of a better term, exist on Shabbat, I definitely did have a negative impression on why are there all of these rules and then ways in which people break the rules in order to make them think they're being better Jews when actually they're Just
0: not. Right. Plus, you had an observant Jew trying to turn you into their Shabbos goy, even though you're Jewish.
1: Exactly. And I'm Jewish. And I learned later, too, there was a situation with the lights that night. And I learned later, too, I'm Jewish. I should not have been turning on the lights. So
0: So I want to go into college in just a minute. But before we do that and talk about Binghamton, because you're a performer and you heard all the things I said in the intro about you, and I've interviewed musicians, stand-up comedians, etc., and they often point to something earlier in their childhood, someone that they watched perform that told them, wow, this is a career path I want to pursue. Did you know at an earlier age that this was a direction you were going to go, or does it come post-college?
1: Oh my goodness. I knew from the time that I was eight years old in the Wizard of Oz at camp that I wanted to be a performer, and I think both of my parents tried to get it out of me, and ultimately when I was In my 20s, a lot later, I said, no, this is definitely what I want to do. It's always what I've wanted to do. So it's just something that's always been a part of me. Why were they
0: trying to get it out of you? Like you hear two kinds of parents, the parents that are like, pursue your dream, like someone is going to make it. Why not you? I believe in you. And then you have parents who are like, it's great that you enjoy doing this, but it's not practical. You can't earn a living. So I want to see you become a doctor or a lawyer or something that, you know, you can depend on. So where were your parents coming from and trying to sort of get this out of you?
1: Oh, yeah, it's definitely the latter. My parents very much worried about my ability to be able to support myself. This whole idea of making it, this fear that I wouldn't make it and then be disappointed and not be able to actually do the thing that I want to do. But now that I'm in it, what I understand is that there is no real making it, that means something different to everybody. And really what it is, is it's a path, it's a mountain, it's a climb, and it's not black and white like that.
0: And so you also mentioned earlier in the interview having a bat mitzvah, and then you often hear there's like a a drop off in people's connection to Judaism after that, because in the secular world, there's not like a natural next thing to do. So what was your experience like after you have this big celebration?
1: So where I grew up on Long Island, bat mitzvahs were... (laughs) I mean, just so over the top. I went on buses to New York City and crazy stuff. Again, I always really did feel this strong connection to my Judaism. So when I finished my Bat Mitzvah, I wanted to continue, and there was an opportunity at my Reform Synagogue to do Hebrew high school. However, I was a bit of a goody two-shoes. So when I went to Hebrew high school and the instructor was talking about how on her 21st birthday, she vomited in 21 different little garbage pails, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like this. This is not in the spirit of it all. This is not what I'm here for. And so I actually quit Hebrew high school. (laughs) Um... So then I guess Judaism was really, at that point, just holidays for the rest of my time until I got to college. And then when I got to college, that's when Judaism really became part of my life again. But funny enough, my brother, who's four years younger than me, by the time he went to Hebrew high school, different people were in charge. And he completed the whole thing.
0: So you referenced Binghamton before. So as you're finishing up the high school years, What made you choose that school? Was it connected to your desire to be a performer, like in what you wanted to major? Why why did you go that path?
1: Funny enough, I went to Binghamton because my mom went to Binghamton. My whole life, she had been telling me it's the Ivy of the Sunnis. And it's such a wonderful school. And she loved it and had such a wonderful experience. And I really didn't fully know what I was going to do with my life. I thought that I would be a journalist because in addition to loving performing, I really loved to write. And so journalism just seemed like a somewhat practical way to have a career as a writer. And so the other thing that my parents told me was that I need to go to a state school. <laughs> so, so that's how I ended up. That narrows being, it down. Yeah, if I had known that I would end up wanting to pursue the performing arts or even that I would want to be a playwright, screenwriter, I probably would have chosen a different school. And I do think that going to a place like Binghamton has made it harder for me professionally. However, I will say that I had a wonderful experience. It's a fantastic school and the Jewish community is unparalleled. It is such a beautiful community at Hillel and Chabad and really taught me about Judaism first and foremost, but also about the type of Jew and the type of person that I wanted to be. And I'm so grateful that I did end up there.
0: Okay. So, so take our listeners now inside that experience at Binghamton, because you talked about that first interaction you had with Chabad, but then you brought up other organizations in the Jewish community overall. So how were you growing like Jewish wise when you got to college?
1: When I got to college, I started going to Kabbalah Shabbat every Friday at Hillel. And then after eating dinner at Hillel, I would walk over to Chabad for dessert, where they had really awesome food. Um, And I also met a really wonderful group of people. So the thing that got me interested in writing about Judaism and about bridging the gap between observant and secular Judaism was my time at Binghamton because I was always so perplexed at how people didn't want to drive on Shabbat. I was so interested in the fact that people wouldn't study on Shabbat. I was so interested in the fact that they wouldn't study or drive, but that they would drink. <laughs> and somehow that was, okay, again, such a goody two-shoes, was <laughs> just thought that drinking was bad. Um, and I think that the other part of it that really always was on my mind was that I felt like an outsider in the Jewish community because I wasn't observant. And I felt sometimes like I was being judged for wanting to drive on Shabbat or for not keeping kosher, even though I I was a vegetarian. And so I didn't like that because I felt that being a Jew was such a strong part of my identity and it hurt me that I felt that others around me weren't supportive or were perhaps judgmental about the way that I chose to be a Jew. I also felt, and I still feel, that being an actor and doing theater makes it really hard to observe if you aren't extremely established. So, you know, in 2010, Maim Bailik, who I love, she came to Binghamton and spoke to Chabad about being a professional actor and being an observant Jew, and Everything she said was amazing and inspiring, but she is Mayim Bailik. She has been famous since she was a child. And I felt then, and I still feel now, that it is not something that people are willing to accept and put up with in the professional world necessarily, unless you are a huge star and people are going to put up with and accept anything so that was a little bit of a tangent
0: but you brought up an interesting point because I've interviewed now musicians comedians so anyone who's performing at the beginning of the interview is telling me well Friday night and Saturday like those are the days for performances so how could I be religious and think I'm going to make it in showbiz whatever that means for them but some of them who became observant when they finally like drew that line and said look I don't I don't perform those days or they got into like performances for Jews their career took off like in an unexpected way and they find themselves like doing better than they thought they were going to do and they weren't even willing to give up Fridays and Saturdays.
1: That's really interesting and really lovely. And I actually do think that there's something to be said about when you put up boundaries, you actually find freedom. So yeah, that that does make a lot of sense to me that once you stop doing certain things, that actually you end up with more freedom.
0: Right. And so now I want to go back to what you're saying At Binghamton, you had this group of friends. Were they a mix of Orthodox and secular and everything in between? What what kind of group were you hanging out with?
1: Really more observant Jews. So as an example of something that I I found to be negative was that when we were figuring out where we were going to live, people didn't want to live with me because I wasn't observing Shabbat. It was more Shabbat than keeping kosher, but that was another thing because I didn't eat meat. It was less of the issue, but there was still a lack of trust that I could adhere to Kashrut. So I ended up living in the same building as a lot of my friends, but with random people and it worked out. They ended up being wonderful. They actually ended up none of them being Jewish, but that was something that really hurt me, but it didn't give me a negative view of Judaism Interestingly enough, when these things would happen that would offend or insult or hurt my feelings, it actually made me more interested in bridging the gap or in finding the common ground than what it could have done, which is made me say, this is bad observant judaism is bad observant judaism is something that i don't agree with these people are crazy things that i've heard other secular jews say things that family members of mine have expressed so all of this is what led me to the work that i do now which is i essentially as an artist want to portray the jewish experience in a positive light
0: right and that gets at the crux of why i actually want to have you on the show because i would think that our listeners who've heard our previous episodes thought that your story was going to go something like I went to Binghamton I got exposed to these orthodox Jews they convinced me to go to Israel for a year I became observant and I've like been on that path ever since your story is interesting and unique in that you don't go in that direction but you end up getting so like fascinated about it that it finds its way into your work so like when did you realize that Judaism could become like the central theme to what you're portraying for your audiences
1: I really love that question. And you know, I think a lot of it has to do with my FOMO. I really do want to be more observant. And I think that I am. Um, I wouldn't, I definitely think that observant Jews probably wouldn't see me as observant. But um my family, that is completely secular, does so. You know, it's yeah. all about perspective. But I ultimately think that writing *observant*, a story about a lot teshuvah, was me writing what I wanted for myself and was never brave enough to do. And and a part of it is that I'm interested in having a sympathetic approach to both observant and secular Judaism in our country in recent years, and just in general. As we know, there has been increasing anti-Semitism. And I think that it is so important that Jews stick together and that we aren't standing around judging each other about the type of Jew that we are. We are all celebrating the same holidays, no matter how we celebrate. We are all praying to the same Hashem. And so what ended up happening was when I wrote Observance, I was saying, this is what I want. What would it be like if I did it? And um, what would my parents say? What would my partner say? And how would I marry my old life and my new life? And the other thing that really is inspiring to me is women finding joy and meaning in Judaism. Because a lot of what I had heard in my Secular circles was that observant Judaism is really sexist and misogynistic. And while even now I don't agree with every single thing in religious Judaism, it was fascinating to me that observant women do not feel suppressed. And so I wanted to explore that and how they don't feel that way. So why are non observant women saying that they should feel that way? You know, my play observance about a lot that was in, a f- the fringe festival in New York in 2018. And it was supposed to have a regional debut in 2020, which then turned to 2021, which then ended up getting canceled because of COVID. And I'm talking to other theaters about it. And I have my other Jewish play about a Rebetzin. I am my beloveds. And last summer I was watching a show on Netflix and I thought that the way that they were speaking about observant Jews in Muncie was my husband said that they were speaking about them like they were circus animals. Like it was just so gross. And I said, that's why my play observance is so important because it has that sympathetic approach to both observant and secular Judaism. It sort of bridges that gap. And It shows why a woman would enjoy being observant. And I said, wait a minute, what if that wasn't just a play, but what if it was its own TV show? And so that has inspired me now to write it as a pilot. And that's kind of my current project that I'm trying to get off the ground is I've now turned that story into a pilot with a slightly different premise and um, I'm trying to get it made.
0: I think that's beautiful. And I like what you said with that kind of circus animal concept, because before I became religious, I also kind of had this either didn't know or negative view of being Orthodox. And now that I am, I want to tell like the marketing department, like there's better ways that we could position living an Orthodox life because people just don't quite understand it. When they don't understand, they fill in the blanks with whatever they're hearing, and it's not necessarily true. And my perspective has changed so much from being on the outside looking into now living that lifestyle. So I'm wondering for you, What was the reception to the play? What kind of people were being inspired by it or criticizing it? Were you getting people all different levels of the religious spectrum looking at it? What was it like?
1: You know, it was really interesting because it was people from all different levels of the religious spectrum. Um, What was really meaningful was when I had a woman come up to me after and say that her daughter became observant. She was a BT and that it really helped her understand her daughter. Um, that's the best thing you could hear as a writer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of people actually who weren't Jewish say that there were parallels to whatever religion they were. That was really interesting. And a lot of secular Jews who came to see the show said that it actually made them feel more compassion for observant or orthodox Jews. And that was really special because that is, I think, sort of the whole point.
0: I also think that now that I'm an Orthodox Jew, I feel like I want to tell my secular friends, you don't really realize what you're missing. Like you you think it's this world of restriction, but when I get to like shut my phone for the for the one day, it's like my favorite day of the week. And I just, you don't understand it until you're in it. And my friends say, oh, I could turn my phone off for a day. I'm like, no, you can't. Like you just, you wouldn't, you might say you would, but you won't, you'll, you'll at least check in a few times. But until you really are completely off. And it really reminds you of your childhood before all this stuff was invented. Like you don't really connect with it in the same way.
1: It's so true. And I also think that it goes into our conversation about um, when you put up boundaries that there's actually more freedom. Without your phone and without any sort of electricity, you actually open up a whole world of things that you could do. And one of the things that I think is really nice is just playing Games like board games and stuff on Shabbat, which I think people who don't observe Shabbat probably just never play board games. (laughs) Right. Like, when would they ever play? Um, And you could play anything and go on a walk anywhere and read any book. And I just think that it, it kind of just opens up the, I don't know, activities that you can do, whereas when you have all of the electronics and Wi-Fi and television, I think that for a lot of us, that just ends up being the default of how you're going to spend your time.
0: Yeah. So I want to also ask you with your family, you know, you said that maybe an Orthodox person wouldn't view you as completely Orthodox, but your parents compared to where they're at maybe do see you in some ways like that. Like what are some of the things you're doing personally that leave your family with that impression?
1: Truly the bare minimum, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> and um, especially for this audience, sort of an eye roll. So, you know, just lighting the candles on Shabbat, saying the prayer over over the wine and the challah, that's kind of about it as far as Shabbat observance. I do sometimes try to do more of um, an unplugged Shabbat, although I would say that since covid It's been less so just because I end up speaking to my family a lot on the weekends. My brother in Arizona and my in-laws in Florida. Also, just the way that we observe holidays. So my family, my extended family, loves to do a 10-minute Seder printed from the internet. And I always try to do something that feels somewhat substantial and will bring out the Haggadah and try to encourage everyone to do at least a half an hour, (laughs) which is so funny because I've been to religious Passovers that have gone, you know, the four or five hours. And truly, I think it's also just wanting to be involved. It's the fact that I'm always writing all of these things about Judaism. It's the fact that I am a part of a Jewish actor writers group and I'm a part of a Jewish actor writers cohort and I'm a part of a Jewish two Jewish writing groups one is a pilot writing group and one is a play writing group um before i was with my husband um the fact that i only wanted to date jewish men um all of these things in my family were just a little bit radical
0: and so i want to go back just before we get into some of the other things that you've worked on one more question about observance because i said in the intro how this was a hard partying college student who was clashing with her orthodox roommate but then she herself goes on her own journey. So without giving away like the whole story, what is behind the, the clash at the beginning? And, and what changes for this person that they start to see Orthodox Judaism in a different light as the, as the story progresses?
1: So this might be giving a little bit too much away. But essentially, Gabby, the hard partying college student, she ends up joining this group Called Maimonides, that is essentially observant students getting together with the rabbi and the rabbitson to observe. They get together on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays to talk about relevant topics in Judaism, and they do Shabbat dinners together and Shabbat lunches. And in doing that, Gabby begins to see the beauty in observance and she joins a community and because she had had this terrible tragedy in her life, her sister passing away, it's the first time that she feels that she can see any meaning in life and in living. And in the pilot, where it's a little bit of a different premise, her observing Judaism by again joining this group is something that actually connects her to her sister. Okay,
0: so you also mentioned you have I, My Beloved. There's another play where you're touching on Judaism again. So how did that idea come about and, and what are you hoping this play becomes over time?
1: There is nothing about any sort of Rebetzin ever that I've ever seen. Um, nobody talks about the Rebetzin, the wife of the rabbi. When we did Observance, there is a Rebbetson character, and there was a lot of feedback that people really just loved her, and so that's what inspired me to end up writing a play about her—I mean, a different Rabbitson, of course. And so The Rebbetson and I, My Beloveds is also a BT, and it features her family, her Orthodox family. and. Yeah, I mean, I think it just goes back to this thing I keep repeating, which is a positive representation of observant Jews. They are just people like all of us. I think that we need to just start seeing each other all as people and human beings, truly.
0: Okay, so if you go back to the intro... And I've also looked on your website. There's like way too many things to cover about you. But I do want to go into a couple other areas because I saw that you're also a published children's book author. So the book is called Daisy Moves to America. So how did that come about? What's the story about?
1: So Daisy Moves to America was inspired by a conversation that I had with my friend Hannah who grew up in England. Honestly, we were in the car. She said she needed petrol. And I said, you have a so many different words. There are just so many different words for in British English. And um, you know what would be a really cute children's book? (laughs) Uh, Would be a little British girl moving to the US and learning about all of the different words and phrases we have here. And maybe she doesn't feel accepted by her class, but in the end, she recognizes that her unique language even though it's the same language and her accent and all of that is what makes her special. And I had taken a children's book writing class my freshman year of college for my English major and our final project was to write a children's book. And so I always knew that I wanted to write another one. And so Daisy Moves to America was this project in the back of my mind for years and years. And I knew nothing about how to get a children's book published. I knew everything about how to write one just from that class. And then I had taken another class and just felt that I really knew how to write children's literature and and was consuming so much children's literature, actually, even without children. And so in 2020, when we were all just stuck at home and My whole industry of theater and film was completely shut down. My community of theater artists was just very busy with Zoom community events and people wanting to find new skills. And so people wanted to learn about children's book writing in that community. And somebody had recommended me to teach some workshop on children's book writing and I felt embarrassed that I would be teaching children's book writing and never actually wrote a children's book and that was kind of the fire I needed to complete the project and so it ended up being such a blessing. I've done so many story times with classrooms and libraries and just met so many amazing children with this book I have um, met so many amazing other authors and now it's being turned into a podcast series and so that's really huge for me professionally and so I'm just really grateful that that I had that experience
0: And you also just brought up podcasting. So I know you have your own show. So just tell our listeners about the show, the kind of guests that you have on there.
1: Yes. So Positive Creativity is a podcast where my co-host Lauren and I speak with actors, writers, directors, um, and other industry personnel about what they're working on in the biz, what's inspiring them and how they stay positive in the entertainment industry. So we speak to a lot of people who are actors like ourselves, we speak to a lot of writers, TV writers, and playwrights. We speak to a lot of casting directors. We've had agents and other talent reps, managers, and um, we just hear people's stories, how they got into the biz, what they're working on, promote their work. A big point of it is just sharing how we all can stay positive in an industry that is really, really disheartening and really difficult. And so that's kind of the through line is just finding that positive light in a biz that can be really hard
0: I hear you on that and so before we close the interview and go to the lightning round I just wanted to ask what is on the horizon for you I know that the pilot on Netflix could be the big thing for you what else are you working on that you're hoping will come to fruition in the next few years
1: so turning observance into a pilot is first and foremost I am also working on another play about environmental sustainability. And all of my plays, even if they're not Jewish themed, there's always some Shabbat scene or something Uh Jewish in them. So all my plays are Jewish plays, even if they're not Jewish plays. I would love to write another children's book. Right now I don't even have an idea for one, but that's something that I would like to do. But as far as career goals, I had an interview the other day with a Jewish theater. And this person asked me, what do you really want? What is your actual, like the one thing you want? And what I really want is to be a showrunner. I want to write and act in my own TV show. That is my dream. I also want to be on Broadway.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> All right, so let's jump to the lightning round to close out the interview. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, so who's a performer, entertainer of some kind that you really look up to and admire?
1: Um. I mean... This is so basic, but I I love Meryl Streep.
0: Okay, so aside from her, who is someone you wish you could just call up and they would agree to be in the next thing that you're creating?
1: Ooh, honestly, Maya Bailik. Yeah, she's actually perfect for one of the roles in the pilot of Observance. Absolutely perfect.
0: All right, so let's continue on. Why do you think such a high percentage of Jewish people end up in the entertainment business, either as performers or on the business side of it?
1: So I think that a lot of Jews end up in the entertainment industry because I think, you know, as we know, Jews have been persecuted for thousands upon thousands of years, and anti-Semitism is still alive all over the world. And I think that in general, Jews are always looking for a place to belong and looking for community. And I also think that Jews are really smart and resourceful and creative.
0: Beautifully said. Okay, last question. What advice would you give to a young person who's listening to this interview saying, I'm really inspired by list. I think I want to be a performer also. How do I get started? What should I do?
1: My advice is to not wait for the gatekeepers. I self-published my book. I created a podcast. I knew nothing about podcasting or voiceover or anything. I think just not waiting for other people to give you opportunities. So that could mean writing your own stuff, if that's something that's interesting to you. I also don't think that every actor needs to be a writer. But on a more granular level, I would say if you want to be a performer, start with taking a class.
0: Okay, good (laughs) advice. Alyssa, you are out of the lightning round. I want to thank you for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos.
1: Thank you so much. It was so wonderful speaking with you.
0: Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit Tachlismedia.com. That's ( Sabbath) T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at Tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.